Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And this is our 42nd episode, which it is, is a, the answer to everything. Yes, a meaningful science fiction number. <laughs> uh, today, we've got season four, episode five, and season four, episode six of The Clone Wars. Yes. <laughs> which is uh, Mercy Mission and Nomad Droids. And this is a C-3PO and R2-D2 go on adventures arc. Or as I call it, R2 and 3PO's Technicolor Adventures. <laughs> yeah. Dude, where's my Y-Wing? Get in, we're going to Candyland. So we start off and there have been ground quakes, although they call them earthquakes, which is incorrect, on the planet of Aileen. And so the Republic is sending an invasion fleet in that general direction, decide to do a humanitarian mission. And so Commander Wolf, who is Plo's bro, and we get to see his face for the first time. He has a very cool cyber eye. Mm -hmm. I was like, fine, we'll do this, whatever. I want to just get back in the fighting. And so they fly in. All the clones are making fun of C-3PO because he's shiny and R2-D2 maintains a, you know, sarcastic A grave remove. silence. <laughs> okay, we read that totally differently. <laughs> uh, so they land and as they're flying along, they see the locals, the Alina, who are these three foot tall, bright eyed, bushy tailed, ridiculous little alien creatures. One of them's flying on an enormous dragonfly and the pilot is like, Ugh, another one of these planets. They're sort of like a cross between a newt and a lemur. Yeah. And they're standing on two legs and they have big bulging eyes and mm -hmm. sharp teeth. And they do not speak galactic standard at all, which is why C-3PO is there to communicate with them. So as they land, you meet the king, King Manchucho, mm -hmm. who you can tell he's the king because he has the biggest jaw and a kingly headdress he's simply the best he has like eight syncophants who follow him everywhere and that's the entire population of this planet yeah apparently <laughs> and they're like welcome to our disaster uh please make war with the underground so that we can live and the, the, no well please bring peace to the underground yeah they think the clone troopers represent like a new era of peace and plenty yeah. and they're gonna fix this weird war that they have going on between themselves and the subterranean dwellers. And Wolf is like, yes, it's earthquakes. I'm aware of the problem. I'm going to set up a hospital here. I'm going to set up a cafeteria here and then we can bounce. But the Alina are like, no, before you do any of this humanitarian aid stuff, you have to appease the gods below the ground. Mm -hmm. So after some maneuvering around and talking, eventually R2 and C-3PO are separated off from the clones and they're brought by the Alina to this hole in the ground where there is a enormous intricate manhole cover that has been opened. <laughs> yes. And of course an earthquake happens and C-3PO falls in and R2 valiantly dives in after him. Fires up his rocket boots and away he goes. Mm -hmm. So they the king goes up to Wolf and is like speaking at him and he's like, Where Wolf's like, where's that dang translator droid? Whatever, fine. And so the king goes to the manhole cover with all of his people and starts, you know, prayers and thoughts because they need C-3PO <laughs> and R2 to come back. So they're dancing and praying and bowing and scraping this whole time. And R2 and C-3PO are wandering through this like beautiful bioluminescent underground forest cavern mm -hmm. full of like weird little fairy lights that are following them when all of a sudden they meet the locals who are tree people they are the ends of star wars they are really creepy and imposing they are 
intimidating. Yeah. And C-3PO is like, yes, of course, we'll leave as soon as you tell us which way to go. And they're like, you need to talk to Orphne. Mm. Orphne will have all the answers. She is wise. And they're like, okay, fine. Just tell us that direction. Thank you. Thank you. You're great. So they go to a wide open room. And inside this room, the cloud of fairies which has been following this whole time, manifests itself into a creepy plant girl. A green fairy nymph creature. Yeah. If Cy Snoodles had a tongue, it would be this lady's tongue. She immediately (laughs) sticks out her tongue, grabs C-3PO on the face and says, oh, I can't eat you. (laughs) Uh, She moves around them at incredibly rapid speed, always making a noise as she like appears behind people. She's really intim- like creepy. She has a really weird affect. But she's sort of beautiful and she doesn't seem threatening or menacing. Mm-hmm. And she actually gives R2 and C-3PO the information that they need. Which is a riddle. Which is a riddle. But also she confirms that the air above ground is poisonous to them. And they, the subterranean dwellers, suspect that the Alina opened some kind Mm -hmm. of airway and the underground dwellers were trying to make the earthquakes happen to close whatever breach is in between their two worlds. Yes. So the earthquakes were not malicious. They were a survival tactic. So she gives them a riddle. And as C-3PO is talking about solving it, R2 actually solves it. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually so great. And they stand on top of this platform, which flings them through a flower blossom, and then they just get launched out on a column of water out next to the king and all of his worshipers. And they're like, oh, yes, of course. The air is uh, deadly to locals up here. It just as it is to locals down there. We didn't even notice because we're droids and we don't breathe. So Hashtag droid superiority. Yeah. So let's try to use the power of teamwork to drag this manhole cover back into place. It's the power friendship sam and that actually works and they join up with commander wolf and c-3po is like you wouldn't believe the adventure we've been on and wolf's like oh my god as soon as we get back to the fleet i am offloading these droids yeah so plows bros and the wolf pack just have absolutely no time for this ridiculous adventure that 3po and r2 were just on but they actually saved the day yeah well they're they're very serious clones yeah that the wolf pack They're the wolf pack. They got their alpha. They're ready to go. So on their way to their next destination, we get to the rest of this arc, which is Nomad Dreads. Okay. (laughs) I'm girding my loins to tell you what happened in this episode, Sam. (laughs) This is Nomad Droids, the fortune cookie. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? which I feel like we've heard before in the Star Wars canon. Once or twice. Once or twice. So 3PO and R2 made it to Adi Galia's ship, and now they're ostensibly headed home to Coruscant. Mm -hmm. But wait, there's more. They are ambushed by General Grievous. Mm -hmm. He fights his way on board. He's battling Adi Galia. R2 and 3PO are like, oh, it is time to dip from this situation. You come down this hallway and Adi Galea and General Grievous full on lightsaber fight, clones firing back and forth. R2 like leaves skid marks as he flips a 180. (laughs) He's like, I am not paid enough for this. Let's go. He fires up his rocket boots. He makes it to a Y-wing starfighter. Mm -hmm. He like shoves 3PO inside and they zoom into the space battle. It's so great. 
R2 flies through the space battle and he's just holding down the trigger. Like you watch this Y-Wing fly around and the gun is just going. Beep, 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 it is amazing. Beep. He's like, I could do this all day. <laughs> this is my specialty. This is my favorite thing. <laughs> the separatists chase them into the atmosphere of a nearby planet. Yeah, just one vulture droid. Yep. They get a hit on their ship. Little does this vulture droid know that they are messing with R2 freaking D2. So he swoops up. He does a loop-de-loop. He comes down from behind. He explodes the vulture droid. And because this is the Clone Wars where ships are not allowed to land of their own volition, (laughs) they crash onto this planet. Yes. Because the Separatist ship got their reactor. They crash land into a beautiful butterfly garden. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess. It's a it's a pretty cool crash because you see them go through all the bushes and everything flying past the screen. It looked nice and the ship doesn't look terribly damaged. So yeah, R2 yeah, did, just did a good job. The reactor got hit. They are swarmed by a gang of teeny tiny sprites. But you don't realize <laughs> that they're tiny at first because the camera angle is like shifting to all these like oh, yeah. spooky like people moving like little like blue guys with spears moving yeah, through the forest. Yeah, they look like big terrifying ninja people yeah. and then you get a pan backwards and they are literally like 10 inches tall. They're they're three inches tall. They're (laughs) tiny. They sort of sound like the Jawa. They have these electro staffs. They paralyze R2 and 3PO. They tie them down. And the droids are forced to watch as their leader... The big Heizu. The big Heizu gets carried up on a litter to a trumpet fanfare. Now, importantly, he's big because he's four inches tall, but also three inches wide. He's very Jabba the Hutt vibes, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) So Heizu is the biggest one. So obviously he wields all of the power. He's Mm -hmm. like, your intruders, get off my planet while I'm still in a good mood. But then there's a scuffle when the little sprite creatures are cutting the ties that are holding R2 and 3PO down. Well, R2 gets up and is looming over the big hey zoo and talking trash, apparently. <laughs> And C-3PO is like, I will shut you down right now. Reaches over, bonks him in the back of the head. And he smushes Heizu into green goo. (laughs) Which, um, importantly for the visual aspect of the rest of the episode, R2 doesn't clean off for the rest of the episode. No, he just wanders around. He's covered in Heizu juice for the rest of the episode. He's got like aloe vera gel all over his shirt front. (laughs) Except it's guts. Except it is the guts (laughs) of the honorable Heizu. So, (laughs) So this is apparently really good news for Mm -hmm. the little sprite creatures. They are very excited. They love 3PO. They ask him to stay and be their leader. And he's like, that is so kind of you. Can I interest you in a little something called democratic elections? (laughs) Which immediately goes to crap. And right as it does, they climb aboard the ship. Yeah, so they blast off. They the the Knock sprites fix their ship. They blast <laughs> off while the sprites are still trying to figure out who got the most votes. So they went straight from democracy to civil war. Yeah. <laughs> that is the last we see of them. Mm-hmm. Sam, that was chapter one of this episode. Yes. Now it is time for chapter two. 3PO and R2 get off of that planet only to immediately 
run out of power and land on the next planet over, Balnab. There is some really great back and forth here because R2 will be like, and C3PO is like, of course I'm reading the gauges. I have nothing to do but read gauges. (laughs) Why? What do the gauges say? (laughs) We're out of power. We're out of power. So they land on this like swamp canyon planet. Mm -hmm. And once again, they are treated as hostile invaders. The people who come up have Texas drawls. So it's like a hunting planet and they're hunting. They're running around on Star Wars camels. Yeah. And they have uh, like net guns and they shoot them down like, oh, yeah, we'll bring them to the big leader. Yeah. So they march the droids into a canyon to meet their leader, who is Mm -hmm. a giant holocron who can shoot purple lightning at the people that he does not like, which Mm -hmm. is very intimidating. But then the Clone Wars turns into the Wizard of Oz. Yep. (laughs) R2 sticks his spanner into the canyon wall and he sees a gang of pit droids operating the holocron puppet. And like, nah, get your own meat they bags say, to boss around. Hey, enslave your own organics. These ones are taken. I like meat bag a lot better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> meanwhile, this is all going on on the holog- on the hologram that everyone can see. That's yeah, I a know. 20 foot tall dude. R2 is like ramming into the pit droids. He's flinging them out into the canyon. Mm-hmm. And then the Texans are like, Yo, you are enslaving us and you are the Wizard of Oz. So the hunters go inside this like secret panel in the canyon and we start seeing huge explosions as the ship that the probe droids or the pit droids was on like explodes. They just shoot the place up until it explodes. And C-3PO and R2 walk away, not even looking at the explosion, just like whistling nonchalantly like. It is very much the scene from the trailer when the heroes like walk off and everything Mm -hmm. behind them is a wall of flames. It is so great. Everything is well and good, except they are running out of battery. And so there is a very emotional scene under a big mushroom and they both have to power down. And it seems like this will be the end of the Technicolor adventures for our friends. I got legit anxiety when C-3PO says, I'm at 1.73% power. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> I, I hated that so much more than you know. <laughs> so then we get chapter three of this incredibly long episode. A gang of Weequay pirates lands and steals the Y-Wing mm-hmm. and throws the droids over their shoulders. Mm -hmm. They wake up on board. They're charged back up. They're ready to go. And they are thrown into a droid gladiatorial arena. Yep. With a droid who has a flamethrower and who's just chuckling at them in like astromech the whole time. If you had anxiety during the power down scene, I had some pretty crazy anxiety during the droid fight scene. But fortunately, right then shows up General Grievous. Yeah, with Adi Gallia captured and in handcuffs. And for no discernible reason, he orders his battle droids to open fire on the pirate ship. Oh, it's target practice. Target practice. And they do need it because they're battle droids. droids. (laughs) Sick burn, Sam. So R2 and 3PO are sucked out into space. Because the first shot the Grievous ship fires hits the side of this droid fighting ring and all the droids are sucked into space. 
It is amazing. Mm -hmm. For the last time, R2, actually not for the last time, for the second to last time, (laughs) R2 fires up his trusty rocket boots. He gets himself and 3PO to the landing bay on Grievous's ship. And then things go really from bad to worse. Because the B1 droids on the hangar are like, hey, you aren't supposed to be here. They're pirate droids. Take them to the incinerator. Yeah, they're going to be melted down into slag for Grievous's war machine, mm-hmm. which is both vague and sinister. I freaking love it. <laughs> and just then, as they are about to be pushed into the incinerator, a million Jedi cruisers pop in from hyperspace. Mm-hmm. Their fire shakes Grievous's ship. R2 uses the distraction to grab 3PO and zoom out into the hallway. And they run out just as Master Plo finishes a daring Clone Wars rescue. Of Adi Galea. Of Adi Galea. And he and the wolf pack finish off all the droids. And Master Plo is like, hey... I would so love it if you would tell your incredibly exciting adventures to Commander Wolf. I'm sure he would absolutely love to hear every single twist and turn. And Wolf is like, what? No, please help. (laughs) And that concludes the weirdest Clone Wars episode ever. Yeah. You know, it's uh, this this one, I guess these two plus the last one are a very brief respite of levity. In the Clone Wars, mm. where there's just a lot of silliness, a lot of funny Star Wars stuff. Interesting. I had such a different read on it. Oh, really? Well, what what was your read? Okay, my read is that this is the R2 and 3PO version of the Mortis arc. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need some exposition on that. Okay. I'm going to need some further explanation. You're going to need some nouns and adjectives and verbs. I'm, I'm going to need... Everything. (laughs) Okay. Here's my expose. Here's my tell-all memoir, Sam. (laughs) Well, it's okay. It's actually not that serious. But it's (laughs) R2 and 3PO adrift in a mysterious, colorful adventure Mm -hmm. that no one else is there to witness. Mm -hmm. This arc is a fever dream. Yeah. This is one of the weirder Clone Wars arcs we've ever gotten. Oh, it, it cribbed liberally from Gulliver's Travels. The uh, Wizard, of Oz, Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings. It was like all over the place. But it's the kind of adventure where it happens to you and one other person. So you know you're not crazy. But if you want to tell someone else, they're not going to believe you. Yeah. Because it's so completely wild. Also, because C-3PO and R2 are kind of the Jay and Silent Bob of the universe. You never like you don't believe one of them and the other one doesn't say anything. Yeah, so. totally. Totally. <laughs> um, it just, you know, Sam, I recently rewatched some TV from my childhood and I don't think I ever realized how completely bonkers some of the stuff that was on TV was. Mm-hmm. Like imagine turning the TV on. It's October 2011. You could be watching Game of Thrones. You could be watching Person of Interest. You could be watching Suits. And instead, you see R2 and 3PO wandering around Candyland. Was that all the same time? Yeah. 2011? 2011 was the debut of Game of Thrones. And, And instead, you watch this. And instead, you turn on the television and this is what you're watching. Like, imagine the WTF reaction that you would be having. I was watching Mad Men in 2011. Yeah, which is pretty much tethered in reality. Kind of, yeah. But that's, I wish I'd been watching this because this is trippy. <laughs> it was fun. It was silly. Yeah, okay. Tell me Tell me what your reaction was. I thought the whole thing was really silly. So 
I've never seen it, but there is a Star Wars droids animated series from like the 80s. Really? Mm -hmm. And this feels like it's very much in that vein. Okay, say more. Of like, it's the C-3PO and R2-D2 adventures. Because that is, you know, when episode four, when the very first moments of Star Wars occurred, it's C-3PO and R2... And they're having another adventure. And it almost doesn't matter that they're like key players in this adventure. Mm. It's kind of subversive that they are because you could have them just bounce around from like plot device to plot device, from like Jedi rescue to the big bad showing up and escaping to, and they would just like bounce around from point to point. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, this reminds me of a Kurosawa motif that we forgot to mention in Mm -hmm. Shadow Warrior which is the ploy of using two peasant side characters to yeah, narrate yeah, yeah. really important events in the universe, yeah. which is very much 3PO and R2 at the start of episode four, A New Hope. Yeah. And it's their thing throughout the whole, the all of Star Wars. Yeah, that totally. Even at their most heroic. So I was listening to our episode on the R2-D2 captured. Oh, the replacement recently. droid arc? Yeah, the replacement droid arc. And that is like R2 at his most heroic, and it's a pizza cutter fight, you know, with another and dread. And it is spectacular. It is, but compared to like the Mortis arc, for example, of like good versus evil and bad versus worse and light versus dark, for the droids, it's like, oh no, there's there's little creatures and they have tasers and there's a bunch of people yelling at us and no one understands the language and there's tree creatures. It's just weird. So this is what I love about shifting the focus away from the Jedi in the Clone mm-hmm. Wars and even in more recent shows like The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. When the Jedi are on screen, things that are threats are actually unimaginably terrifying to regular people. Absolutely. So when you take the Jedi out of the equation, you have R2 and 3PO being tied down by three inch tall fairies Mm -hmm. and they cannot get out of that situation. No. They don't have lightsabers. They don't have the force. I love that episodes like these bring the scale back down to the regular people level. Yeah, we've talked about that in a few of the Clone Wars, the clone-centric episodes. Yeah, totally, like totally. how scary even like a destroyer, a droidica is, and like a droidica and two B2 battle droids will devastate a whole bunch it of clones. It will mess up your village. And Ahsoka is like, I need one grenade and a one-second distraction. Ahsoka's like, I didn't even have to eat breakfast before this battle. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> And she's not even a full Jedi. So the power rankings of yeah. like a Jedi being able to, you know, their their character is much higher level than the clones or these droids. It's, it's funny. Yeah, it is weirdly refreshing to bring the power rankings down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like all the callbacks to these ridiculous creatures, the Wizard of Oz bit with the pit droids is just hilarious. Yeah, let's talk about some of the allusions to fairy tales and mythologies. Mm-hmm. What did you pick up on? I'm, you mentioned Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, so I watched when I was a wee lad a lot because this is what we did. We didn't have television, so we had a handful of VHS tapes and we watched them until they were threadbare. 
Uh, one of them was a recording of an animated Gulliver's Travels. Um, amusingly, my only exposure to Gulliver's Travels was the Wishbone <laughs> remake. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, in Gulliver's Travels, there's the Lilliputians mm-hmm. who are tiny little people and they tie down Gulliver and he has to do something. It's all very unclear because it's all actually allegories for like 17 and 1800s Irish and British politics. Oh, weird. Yeah. I mean, so that's what um, Jonathan Swift is famous for is the modest proposal of like, hey, we don't have enough meat to feed all our people. So let's just eat Irish babies. Like that is Ooh. something he actually wrote. And he like did the math to back it up to prove that all no. the people who are, well, no, because he said, if you are actually being honest about your political intentions, then we should eat babies. And that's very provocative. It is. For, for the 18th t- century and for the 21st. It is. And he also wrote about the Gulliver being in a land of tiny people, being in a land of giants, just being a, a man out of place. What I remember about Wishbone Gulliver's travels <laughs> is that they are giants on the land of the Lilliputians. Mm-hmm. They're tied down. They have to search for water at some point, which yeah. reminded me of the search for power on the Belnab planet. Yeah, yeah. And they might have had some kind of political struggle very similar to instituting democratic elections. Yeah, because overthrowing a king and then having something to try to figure out what's what's after that. What I also got that's funny out of that, obviously, the system in Star Wars is a democracy in the vaguest terms Mm. because each planet or sector is represented by one senator, and presumably they also have their own power that's associated with that. But the senators come from like the noble families or are the kings of those sectors. So no matter how democratic or anti-democratic a particular planet or sector is, they're still represented in a larger democracy, which is then run by a chancellor and seconded by a order of Jedi. So it's this really weird back and forth. If anything, the whole politics of Star Wars reminds me of the way the Russian court is described in Anna Karenina hmm. in that you have people from the backwater and people from like the more fancy cities having to make these decisions, but they also are all seeking their own individual glory. And the real seat of power is Coruscant or St. Petersburg. Okay, you have unintentionally made another argument for why the Gungans are the best because <laughs> Representative Jar Jar Banks means that Gungan society might be a meritocracy. It might be. He was an outcast before that. So. Yeah, and then he rose to the ranks of general and galactic representative. representative. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I mean, the whole – and this is, this is a fun factoid to share with others is that the uh, concept of meritocracy is from – the 60s, the 1960s, and is a uh, extreme right-wing talking point. Well, meritocracies existed in ancient Chinese structures. They might have, but even then they were part of a caste system. And similar to what we call meritocracy in our country, America today, you don't have, um, like no one has the same opportunities. If you're a peasant in ancient China, you do not have the same opportunities as the son of a merchant or something. And so who becomes the leader of the merchants? The merchant, because they were actually able to train for the exams which they take. And that's similar to how things work today in America. Can you tie that back to Star Wars? It's not a meritocracy. 
None of it is. The politics of it are completely arbitrary and capricious. And even C-3PO, who's a protocol droid, doesn't understand that the democracy that he's bringing to these people is chaos. What is interesting is that democracy being represented as chaos falls in line with the authoritarian politics of Star Wars. Star Wars is fundamentally feudalistic and authoritarian and patriarchal and paternalistic. (laughs) Because they make such fun of democracy. I'm so glad that in our silly adventure with R2 and 3PO and Candyland, we get back to the real point, which is that Star Wars politics are BS. They are. They're a fantasy. They're a power fantasy. Hmm. The only people who have actual power are those who have been gifted it by being gifted in the force because they're the only ones who can outmaneuver politics. Mm. But that is obviously the fantasy element. Since we're still talking about fantasy elements ostensibly, Uh can I continue this conversation by speaking about some of the fairy tale illusions that I picked up on? She hits my chest timer at 11 minutes (laughs) of sidebar. Yes, please do. Okay, some of the fun illusions that I found were R2 and 3PO falling down the rabbit hole Mm -hmm. on Aline, um, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. The Ents underground in the subterranean fairy grotto. That's also a journey to the center of the earth. And um, the Eli and the Morlocks from The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, which represent a above-ground people and a below-ground people. And the above-ground people are happy and carefree. And then the below-ground people are dark and intimidating. Mm -hmm. That's very fun. Yeah. It's been adapted for a few things. Uh, It's very funny in Futurama, but yeah. Okay, very fun. The only other illusion that I picked up on was, of course, the Wizard of Oz bit. You know, (laughs) pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Hey, don't look behind there. Yeah, totally. But also, there's no place like home, Hmm. right? Dorothy Mm -hmm. and the Tin Man and the Lion go on this mystical, magical adventure. But what they really want, even as they're in all of these wondrous, beautiful places is to be home. Yeah, C-3PO says that a lot. He's like, why are we here instead of on Senator Amidala's awesome balcony overlooking Coruscant? He even talks about like the city of spires. Which I've never heard before. No, apparently that's what the view of Amidala's balcony shows, which is like pretty pretty premium. Yeah, Yeah, pretty cool. So I liked all of these illusions and I think it made me feel less conflicted about this arc because we just started season four. Mm-hmm. We had a three-part crazy battle underwater yeah. on Moncala. And then we had kind of a throwaway Jar Jar episode. And now we have two Adventures in Candyland episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were a more cynical viewer, you'd be kind of mad at these ostensibly filler episodes. Yeah, I see that. But I actually think this arc really commits to the magic in Star Wars idea, mm-hmm. which we've seen in a couple other Mystical Magical Clone Wars episodes. Yeah, Mortis and Night Sisters. Um, Mystery of a Thousand Moons. Yeah. With oh, the angels yeah. and the carnivorous flowers. This feels much more like that. It's yeah. a whole different like realm of Star Wars where you're just like way off the deep end. Totally, totally. And I love that those feelings were so similar 
because it makes this feel more intentional to me rather than Mm -hmm. I can't believe we just got two random filler episodes in season four. Yeah. Now, with my uh, incredible supernatural power of foresight, I can tell (laughs) you that we really need this before the next arcs. Oh, okay. So uh, I am incredibly grateful today, especially, but all days for the kindness of watching these episodes the levity of it yeah because they are fun and those alina are just the cutest aliens they are so precious i love their planet yes i really thought alina was extremely cool looking Mm -hmm. kind of sonoran desert vibes yeah and then we crash landed on the sprite planet which was just very strange and beautiful yeah all the planets are very wild and beautiful out there it's cool yeah there's a definite magical realism to a lot of the cinematography which felt committed to the bit you had a very pan's labyrinth underground on Mm -hmm. the planet of aline the underground was claustrophobic in an interesting way we recently went to meow wolf in denver and there's a moment in there that reminded me of it where you're walking through a cavern and there's glowing like splotches mm-hmm. on the wall and this is what was the underground of alina was like or aline the uh there were splotches on the walls like under underground coral luminescent mm-hmm. and it was just such a weird feeling it was so beautiful i loved the very contrasted split between above ground on mm-hmm. aline and below ground there's also an implication of tons of history there Oh, yeah. For thousands of years, we warred, and now we've gone to peace, and they messed it up, and they they all know what's happening but can't do anything about it because, importantly, the Alina are two feet tall. Well, and, you know, the air below ground is poisonous to them. Yeah, so they can't fix their problems. So I looked up the concept art of the golden seal door. The manhole cover, yeah. The manhole cover. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's a very gussied up manhole cover (laughs) and there's a really cool thing that ties back to that point sam because it illustrates the history of the aline being split off from the subterranean creatures oh there's um it's like a pictograph yeah historical record fascinating yeah there's one aline with a crown on and a couple of servants around Mm -hmm. them and then there's a beautiful snake kind of delineating the barrier between them Mm -hmm. and then there's a gorgeous fairy grotto underneath interesting and that is what made me think about the theme of balance in the first episode does that theme carry on to later episodes or later i guess episodes because there's three episodes in one yeah kind of actually what i was thinking about is that the theme of balance ties these mystical, magical Clone Wars episodes together. Oh, yes, very much. So balance was the main plot push in the Mortis arc. Definitely. The father represented the balance. He had the daughter and the son, which represented light and dark, respectively. Mm -hmm. And 3PO and R2 have to be droid emissaries between the surface and the subterranean realms mm-hmm. because they have to have balance on their planet for anybody to survive. And they are by their nature fundamentally balanced creatures mm. because it's almost impossible to imagine a droid being evil or good. Going back to the replacement droid arc when we talked about droid rights and how like droids are 
uh, some of their programming mm. that like there's no such thing as an evil droid. They're just programmed that way. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I will say it was a very Star Wars balance. It's not about moderation. It's about a split. Yes. There's light and dark. There's above ground and below ground. There's sun and shadow. And no one on Aline gets to experience both. Ooh. And no Jedi really gets to experience light and dark. You're Jedi or you're Sith. It's only a droid who can move between them. (laughs) Yeah. Droid supremacy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking about balance. That is interesting. I like that. Whereas the second episode is about running away. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now you're making me think that the second episode was a big allegory for Gulliver's travels, actually. Yeah. I mean, it had, it got a lot of notes, but yeah, the, uh, something more complex, but as these bumbling creatures make their way through and leave a path of like their interpretation of things on the galaxy, because that's what C-3P and R2-D2 are doing. Like, how horrible is it to be involved in a droid fight when in reality, at least one of those droids in the fight seemed happy and the pirates were happy. The concept yeah. of, like, right and wrong is a matter of interpretation for every creature. But for droids, it's programmed into them. So I had a lot of questions about droids. Do you want to talk about droid rights for a minute? I love talking about I droid rights. I know you do. So do I. If a droid dies... Are they gone forever? Yeah, great question. So it seems like, in most cases, like the combination of hardware and software, like uh, hardware and lived experience is what makes the droid the droid. Okay. So you can recover parts of things. Like, for example, in Solo, small spoilers there, L-337 gets damaged critically and is placed into the computer of the Millennium Falcon. But it's not really L-3. No, I mean, so that's the ship of Theseus, right? When does, uh, when when you replace every single part of something, when does it cease being the original thing? Well, and also, can you not just back up a droid's consciousness on a thumb drive and just stick it into a different droid? Right, right. So... That is interesting. So I recently read an absolutely uh, fantastic book by Carl Schroeder called Lady of Mazes. And it talks about how like technology is interpretation, interpretation is technology. And I, I really recommend it as a hard science fiction for dealing with thorny issues like this, although it's not a Star Wars book, of course. But the idea of the lived experience, learned experience is parametric, as in Every single step you take to get to where you are, you can't like roll back any of it without Mm. leaving a gap. And in that book, they're called tech locks to some extent, but you can't like roll back a droid. You know, for example, say, for example, we took uh, R2-D2 in the Resistance era and we roll him back to right before he met Padme. He's a completely different droid. Like you yeah. haven't you haven't backed up anything. You like you can't anything. recover your autosave and expect someone to be the same person. Exactly. Because I mean, speaking of like autosaves, like for example, in a video game, there's autosaves where you would quick save and then you go through something and you're like, okay, there's a bad guy around the next corner and then there's a good guy around the corner after that. But in reality, it's too complex to actually have that happen. And also you can't repeat time. You can't do a closed time like loop. 
So Sam is hitting on the core tragedy of my life, which is that I can't just auto save before well, incredibly stressful it's things. It's not the auto save. It's it's that you can't step backwards. Exactly. Because so there's you, no control Z in real mm-hmm. life. But if but there is a control C. So I can copy what I've done and I can move it forward, but I can't erase anything. Hmm. So if I do erase something, I've lost all the original stuff. The reason I brought this up is be is not for any, you know, extremely profound or insightful reason. It's more that 3PO was so nervous during the space battle mm-hmm. to get hit and the droids being melted down for slag on Grievous's ship are so horrified. Yeah. That I was like could they not save their consciousness somewhere on a on a memory stick and like put instructions in their will to be shoved into a different exoskeleton? Okay, so here's another thing about droid rights. Labor is so devalued in the Star Wars universe that slavery is allowed. Mm-hmm. There, there are sentient slaves in the Star Wars universe. Yes. Which means that droids are worth practically nothing except for their extremely useful skill set in certain things. I would say that the way that Anakin and Shmi are treated in The Phantom Menace makes it seem like human slaves are even less valuable than droid slaves. Yes, because a droid slave wouldn't make mistakes and And doesn't need to sleep. And yeah, their power bill, their food bill is cheaper. Yeah, totally. And that also goes across a lot of cultures because there's I'd imagine in the Star Wars universe, we don't have enough data points in our current world to to make this assumption but in the star wars universe it seems like there's probably a lot of cultures that would disparage the use of droids for something that they can do physically with themselves that's a Mm. common trope in some science fiction is why would i let a machine do something for me that's uh the butlerian jihad the original butlerian jihad in dune uh man shall not make a thinking machine in his own image because that takes away from the man On the flip side, there's a lot of sci-fi literature and media that says that things that are created by humans are inferior to things that are created by droids or computers or technology. Yeah. Although, for example, there's – I'm using that phrase a lot. For example, there are things such as uh, neural nets and uh, evolution-designed processes where you can take a shape – like a pedal or a, a handlebar for a bike, and you feed in where the strengths of it need to be into a CAD program, and a computer will evolve a bunch of solutions for it, and you'll get like a weird branch-shaped structure that doesn't look anything like just a steel tube that is stronger and lighter. Yeah, absolutely. So that is why things created by technology can be better. Yeah, I'm not sure how this relates to our episodes, to be totally honest, but... There's another thing that I wanted to bring up about droid rights. All right. Because we are getting on a lot of tangents and I actually had a point. Well, I didn't have a point. I had a question. <laughs> that's, that's half as good. Hey. Hey. <laughs> What's your question? <laughs> Why do droids in the Star Wars universe get pain and pleasure receptors? I'd imagine. So, okay. Pain and pleasure are the same thing. Why are droids in the Star Wars universe built in such a way that they can experience sensation? So that they don't take damage. Like, okay, uh, if you get leprosy, what kills you is not the leprosy itself. It's that it kills the pain receptors in your skin and you will get a cut that you can't see and it'll become infected. 
and you'll die of an infection. If you don't have pain receptors, you are in significant danger of overcommitting your body and breaking something critically Hmm. that can't be repaired. Interesting. Yeah. The only reason I was thinking about this is because as I was thinking about droids in this arc, being afraid to be melted down Mm -hmm. or, you know, get thrown into a droid fighting arena It reminded me of how ridiculous I've always thought the torture scene is in episode six when we get to Jabba's palace Mm -hmm. and there is a torture droid holding hot metal brands to the feet of a different droid. A gonk droid. And the droid is screaming. Yeah. What is the, what, why? To make an example to the droid, it seems to me, and this is another S theory, a Sam Nelson theory. So this is not canon, and you can roll your eyes at this one if you want. I'm watching you do it right now. It seems like once you create a relatively small amount of complexity for computing in the Star Wars universe, it becomes sentient. Yes. Yeah. So basically, you can't have anything that isn't my phone or even our like podcast equipment here would have like a personality because it's a it's a tiny computer and every computer in the star wars universe seems to be relatively smart Mm, maybe and so once that comes into play then anything that can be an intelligent machine might as well be now why they torture them if if they have an element of self-preservation, which they should because they would lose out on all the information they might be carrying forward then you can threaten them with permanent damage. Now, are you, as a human being, I've had to think about this a lot, unfortunately, are you more scared of pain or damage? Damage. Exactly. I'm I'm more scared of having my leg, you know, eaten by piranhas because I won't have a leg as opposed to the actual act of the piranhas biting on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because we're capable of a future casting. Yes. Life would be so difficult without, you know... A leg. And so I imagine that's why that AP droid was afraid of getting incinerated because they will cease to exist. So it's a function of self-preservation. Exactly. So sentience might have an element of self-preservation. It could. It could. Or sapience. This is only lightly related to the arcs, but I have some questions. So thank you for attempting to answer them. I mean, honestly... Do these episodes and the previous episode add greatly to the corpus of works, which is the Clone Wars? That was my final question. I wanted to talk about some of these mystical episodes that we're getting in the Clone Wars in terms of the Star Wars feeling. Do you get a Star Wars feeling? Does it feel like Star Wars when you watch these episodes? So I had a friend ask me today or yesterday about how does it feel that the plot of uh, the the notion of spice in the Star Wars universe is stolen from Dune. And I'm like, okay, they're, they're completely different things. And I'm reminded of the entire concept of the spice mines of Kessel is actually from episode four when C-3PO gives a throwaway line, which is like, oh no, they'll melt us down for scrap and throw us in the spice mines of Kessel for sure. And like, that is obviously meant to just be like, oh, they'll throw us into the dungeon of Zenda for sure. And that became an entire cornerstone of the Star Wars illegal economy. Adding more flavor to Star Wars, I think adds so much to it because every single one of those little throwaways, as you add more magic to it, as you add ridiculous stuff to it, as you say, oh yeah, there's a planet of tiny little Heizu worshiping people. That just is weird and it's fun (laughs) and it makes the universe seem bigger. Yeah. 
And a bigger universe is important in Star Wars because in the live action stuff particularly, it's all on Tatooine because Tatooine is easy to film. Totally, totally. I'm biased because I feel like anytime we get to see weirdness in the Star Wars universe, it is a giant retcon of the original trilogy. So I'm all for it. That being said, if you pulled R2 and C-3PO, if you photoshopped them out of the frame, Mm -hmm. could I tell that these are Star Wars episodes? No. Yeah, you'd have a hard time. You'd have a hard time. Do these episodes serve the Star Wars canon? Yes. Do they feel like Star Wars? Maybe. Yeah. These ones could have taken place at a bunch of different times. However, we did get to see Commander Wolf's face. And I love that. And we got redesigned wolf pack armor. The helmets were so cool. They have like a, a face of a wolf above the brow. It's beautiful. And like it's a intricate. It's like a tattoo. Yes. Very cool. And they're all over the place. And watching that relationship between the clones and the droids is very funny because you'd imagine that the clones would be disparaging of droids because they're like, we kill droids all day. We don't like any droids. Hmm. I don't know. I got a lot out of that. Yeah. I, I enjoy Commander Wolf. He's one of my favorite clones. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we got a Plo Koon cameo. Yes. Which was the best. <laughs> so speaking of characters who could be photoshopped out or photoshopped in, <laughs> who deserves the nod for Baywatch? Baywatch! Stop Baywatch! Baywatch. I think I want to hear your bay first. No. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not a Texas size 10-4? Not a Texas size 10-4. So there, there's basically three recurring characters in all these episodes. Four if you count Adi Galea. Okay, there's three. <laughs> there's three with speaking roles. Yeah, uh, she has a speaking role. But uh, there's Commander Wolf and then R2 and C-3PO. Yes. I do really enjoy Commander Wolf, but I got to give it to R2 because of the moment where C-3PO gets shoved down in the rabbit hole into the the underdark and R2 is like YOLO, just rocket boots down. And the moment where General Grievous comes around and R2 is like, listen here, Goldenrod, I have (laughs) I have fought General Grievous actually several times before and the only place i want to be when he <laughs> is twirling his lightsabers around is in a y-wing loaded with ordnance <laughs> flying that way i would very much like to be not here <laughs> anakin is not here i am out pitter patter let's get at her <laughs> i don't i don't <laughs> i am a droid i am not lightsaber proof i am out <laughs> uh so yeah it's it's r2 R2 saves the day all the time when he uh, is mumbling that he's out of power and C-3PO has a really poignant moment. He was... 3PO says, but you're usually so good in these situations. Like, I just thought you would get us out of it. Oh! My heart shattered into tiny little droid pieces. I, I felt that a lot. And R2's like, I know, I'm sorry. I had to keep rescuing you. <laughs> <laughs> you used up all 99.9% of my battery rescuing you. Yeah. Solving riddles. Yeah. And getting us out of impossible situations. But it's it's R2. He saves the day time after time. And 
never takes the credit. Like when he solves the puzzle and C-3PO is like, of course it's a river. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. I concur. R2 yeah. is also my bay. I briefly toyed with the idea of making it Master Plo because Plo, whenever he has a cameo, comes in, messes stuff around and does it and is great. But it's R2 because R2 got to giggle smarmily so many times in this arc. He did. He talked so much trash and you he can tell. He talked so much trash. You can tell because C-3PO is like, don't tell them that. Like, don't, don't say that. Everyone can understand you. And Talking trash yeah. to every sovereign leader on all of these planets. Mm-hmm. So great. Ride or die friend. I feel like this is the third time in the three arcs of season four that I've had a ride or die friend as my bay. Mm-hmm. It is the trope that gets me every time. He did not think before rescuing 3PO no less than five times in this arc. Yeah. And he had some fun flying. He seemed to really enjoy his work. And I, the back and forth between him and C3PO, who also honorable mention for C3PO, honestly. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, That line about. Of course I'm reading the dials. What did the dials say? Like I love that for R2 because he does seem a little bit scatterbrained for a droid. Like he doesn't have that strategic thinking of like we're going to figure something out, but he definitely solves the immediate problem every single time. Oh, he is the Anakin of droids. <laughs> for what a stunning endorsement <laughs> that is. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> So much fun. I can't believe I briefly thought these episodes were a waste of my time. They were not. They were great. They were great. So next week, we are starting, because it's four episodes, we're doing the first two episodes of the Umbaran arc. So we are watching The Clone Wars season four, episodes seven through eight. Mm -hmm. And then the week after, we're doing nine and ten. For those of you following at home, this is extremely important extremely dark and has one of the most heinous villains of all of star wars i just got shills all up and down my bod (laughs) oh boy so take this brief respite in la la land with r2 and c3po for what it is which is just a breather before the marathon which is the embara arc oh man Mm -hmm. okay send us out with something positive as always you can follow us on social media at growing up skywalker we're on instagram facebook and twitter Mm -hmm. and if you want more skywalker you can follow us on patreon and become one of our patrons we really appreciate that it helps us get equipment helps us pay for the website, all this stuff. And we've really been connecting with a lot of other podcasts recently, which has been super helpful. So make sure to leave a review on your podcast app of choice. Yes. And send this episode to... Your friend who's always talking smack when you're talking really fun smack. When you're like, I think we should kill them. Hold me back, bro. And your (laughs) friend's like, no, we aren't going to kill the sovereign leader. Send it to the C-3PO for your R2. They they deserve it. Yes, they do. (laughs) And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye.